0: Thank you, Sue. It is a good morning. It is a good morning to be here today and to worship with you guys. Um, Jacob and his family are away on vacation for a few days, and so he's asked me to come up here and um, preach, and um, I am delighted to get to preach on this passage. This is um, one of my favorites and honestly one of the uh, the just key pieces, uh, cr- critical parts of the book of Romans, and so... Uh, I'm just delighted to to have this opportunity this morning. Um, Could could you pray with me one more time? Um, Let's pray. Our Father, um, Lord, we are looking at uh, some just very important ideas that you have laid down in Holy Scripture for us, Lord. These are incredibly practical things. And so, Father, I pray for each person in this room, including myself, Lord, that we would be... Um, listening with open ears, able to receive the things that you might have for us today. Father, would you speak to us? Uh, May may it not be my words, but may may you speak to us today, Lord. We want to hear from you. That's why we're here. So, um, Father, we just ask by your spirit that you would teach us from your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, this summer, our family um, had the opportunity um, a few weeks back to go to Mount Rainier and um, go up to the, uh, the spot in the Mount Rainier National Park that's called Paradise, and it is. Um, it's, it's amazing. Um, if you've been up there, the, the parking lot is at 5,400 feet elevation, and so even just from there, the, the view is breathtaking, but um, we went and did the Skyline Trail loop. Which um, is a, it's a few mile hike, and um, we ended up another seventeen hundred feet higher, and so from that vantage point, you're you're at about seventy one hundred feet of elevation, and it's just incredible. It is it is an amazing view from up there. Um, one of the prettiest places I've ever been in my life, for sure. Um, If you look back behind you, you're you're looking at the mountain, Mount Rainier. You're about halfway up Mount Rainier at that point, and and it's just looming over you. It's huge. It's amazing. And you can see the glaciers on it, and and it's um, just amazing. Um, If you look the other direction, um, it's also beautiful because you're looking out. I think it's called the Tatouche range of mountains. It's this jaggedy, like sawtooth range of mountains that you can look out at. And um, they're, they're magnificent. And at that elevation, at 7,100 feet, you're, you're up high enough that you can see out above that range of mountains. And you can see off in the distance Mount Adams and Mount St. Helens and Mount Hood. And they're all off on the horizon there. And it's just amazing. Um, that's kind of how I feel about where we're at in Romans right now. Okay, We've, we've just finished 11 chapters of incredible doctrine. Paul has laid out for us uh, the gospel in just incredible clarity and with, um, just, uh, just an, in, in a way that reveals to us just how much is there. Right? It's like looking back at Mount Rainier and realizing, man, it would take you forever to try to explore all of that. And you realize, wow, what, what Paul has laid out for us is quite magnificent. But now in chapter 12, we are turning our attention the other direction, and it's also amazing. And what what we're seeing as we look out this way is that we're moving from theory to practice. Um, In the first 11 chapters, there, there are very, very few commands in the first 11 chapters. You might get one per chapter if you're lucky. But from this point forward, chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, all of it is just full, packed full with commands for how to live the Christian life. And so this is super relevant because we're, we're moving into this, this season as we're heading into these next chapters of Romans where um, we're going to start to see how it is that we live out the Christian life. And this is kind of how Paul lays out his letters. Um, he does the same thing in Ephesians and Colossians, a few, few places, where he starts off by giving you all the theology, all the theory of who you are in Christ, and what Christ has done for you. And then he transitions over to explain, now what? Okay? If, if this is all true, since Christ has done these things, how then should we live? What, what should this mean for us as a response? And so from, from this unique vantage point here, Romans 12, 1 and 2, we get this opportunity to look back, but then to look ahead... And really, what Paul's gonna do here in these two verses that we're gonna look at, Romans 12, 1 and 2, um, Paul shows us how it is that salvation in Christ is related to godly living. How is it that that all of this stuff that we know to be true, how does that actually lead us to godly living? So, why should I give up my time and my money and my energy to serve the Lord? Why should I love my neighbor and pray for my enemy? Why? What's the connection between Jesus did all this stuff for me and therefore I should live this way? And that's really what these verses are doing. And so it's really important that we get these verses right because we're going to spend the next several months talking about how we live Christian life. Right. So, chapter twelve tells us all about how we relate to other believers, how we relate to our enemies. Chapter thirteen is about how you relate to the government. Chapter fourteen and fifteen are all about how you handle your own Christian liberties. It's all about godly living, and so the scope of this is your entire life. Right? Like this is everything. So, so it's really important that we get these two verses right. And so as we look at these two verses, we're going to be crossing this bridge from theory to practice, um, from ideas to action, and we're going to see three keys to living the Christian life as God intended, okay? Um, it's really easy to get this wrong, too, right? It's really easy to go about the Christian life in all the wrong ways for all the wrong reasons, bad motivations, whatever, um, and so what I'd like to do is just identify a few of the wrong approaches, the bad approaches to living the Christian life. Because I think it's helpful to, to just point these out. Um, the very first way would be the legalist approach. Okay, You guys have heard of this before. Um, this is trying to follow all the rules in order to earn God's favor. Now that's, that's not going to work. <laughs> we, we've already gone through, um, at this point, we've gone through Romans 1 through 3, right? Those first three chapters that, that pointed out that everybody, every one of us is sinful. None of us lived up to God's holy standard. And um, we, we've seen in chapter 7 that all the law managed to do was to shine a spotlight on our sin. All it did was reveal all the sin that is there. And so the legalist approach is just doomed from the beginning because you can't do it, right? We're never going to get there. We're never going to be able to live up to that standard. And so that's, that's a, an approach we shouldn't go down. Um, the second one that I would point out is the counterfeit, okay? This is the fake it till you make it approach, right? So, I mean, you don't actually want to live for Christ, but it seems like it's the right thing to do. And so you're just trying to... I guess I'll just keep doing it until maybe someday I start to feel like it, right? Um, Doing some of the right things, but maybe your heart's not in it. The third one is what I would call the slacker. (laughs) This is the person who's just getting by, right? You know, um, and I think this is where a lot of people live. Maybe you know this person, maybe you are this person. Um, You're just trying to get by. I mean, you figure that, that you've been saved by grace, and you're not a serial killer, so you're probably okay. Right? Like, why, why work extra hard when it's, I mean, do you really need to? So this person's kind of the opposite of the legalist. The, the legalist is thinking, if I can work really hard, I can earn God's favor. He's going to be really pleased with me. And the slacker approach is kind of the opposite. And I don't know, does this person even really care that much about trying to impress God or trying to please God, live in a way that's pleasing to Him. So the slacker's just kind of getting by. Um, The fourth one that I would point out is the good kid, okay? And the good kid goes to church and does these things because grandma says so, right? Grandma says you have to go, and so you go to church. And to to be fair, this isn't just Christians that do this, right? So um, people around the world Stay true to their religion because family pressure kind of makes it so they have to, right? Because you gotta you gotta have Thanksgiving dinner with them and, and you don't wanna hear about it again. So okay, fine, I'll go to church or I'll I'll stay involved with this thing. So so there's four different bad approaches that I would point out, and there's probably more, but let me point this out. None of those is rooted in the gospel. None of those is rooted in the gospel. Um, Last week, Jacob reminded us that God cares about how we think. Um, It matters what you believe. And Paul, in this letter to the Romans, has just spent 11 chapters explaining the truth of the gospel because he wants us to think correctly about these things. And so what we're going to see this week is that gospel thinking leads to practical results. Right? So if, if we have the right understanding of the truth of what God has done for us through Christ, that ought to influence how we live. And so we're going to see these three keys to the Christian life. And the first one of those that I want to point out is that the Christian life should be lived with a settled confidence in God's mercy. Okay, A settled confidence in God's mercy. So Romans 12.1 begins this way. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren... By the mercies of God. Let me just pause right there before we go any further. Um, when you see a therefore, you should always ask what it's there for. Right? So therefore always points back to something. And so the question is, what is he referring back to? And in this case, it's the first 11 chapters. right? He's not just looking at, at just what immediately preceded. He's looking back at everything he has said up to this point. Okay, So when he looks at that, he's looking at this, this big picture... And as a reminder, let me just real quickly go through what Paul has said up to this point. So Paul talked in big pictures about sin and salvation and the sovereignty of God. And so chapters 1 through 3, he talked about sin. And he made it clear that God isn't impressed with any of us. And so whether, whether you're a pagan idolater or you are a good rule-following religious person, either way, we've fallen short of the glory of God. Um, In fact, Paul goes so far as to say that there is no one who seeks after God. None of us. So we may appear to do so, but ultimately we're in it for our own motives, right? Apart from Christ, there is no one who is righteous, not even a single person. And so that's the bad news, right? That's, That's the bad news. But the good news is that the righteousness of God is made available to all people, on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. And so the way to get right with God, not any of those other approaches, but the way to get right with God is to put your trust in Jesus, uh, trust in Christ for what he did for you at the cross, recognize that he paid your debt, that he appeased the wrath of a holy God, that he made it so that you could be justified. And we talked about that word justified. Justified means to be declared Righteous, it's kind of a judicial term, something you'd hear in a law court. And so it means to be declared righteous. It means to have Christ's righteousness given to you as a free gift, right? So you don't, you don't earn God's righteousness. It's given to you as a free gift, which is what Romans 5 says, where Paul says that this is it's a gift. It's something freely given. Um, as, a, as a side note, how many of you have ever done any business travel? few of you. So I've, I've gotten to go on a few business trips where, you know, the company pays for it. And it's always kind of fun um, because, you know, you go get lunch and that's paid for, and you fly on a plane and that's paid for, and you stay in a hotel and that's paid for. You don't have to worry about anything, right? If you're a kid in growing up still, right, there's a few here, you've kind of got that all the time, right? But for adults... So it's a rare occasion. So when you get to go on business travel, it's really fun to know, like, I don't have to worry about anything. It's all paid for. It's just taken care of. And that's really kind of what Paul's describing in those first five chapters of Romans, right? It's it's paid for, right? So, you know, excuse me, sir, where's your ticket? Oh, yeah, Jesus paid for that. I got that, right? Like, like you don't have to worry about trying to earn your way in. It's already paid for. And so that's really what he describes in those first five chapters. And then, then he moves on in chapters 6 through 8 to begin talking about some theory about how the Christian life is lived. And what he tells us there is that we do not live a godly life through our own strength and our own efforts. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what Romans 8 is all about. And the amazing thing in Romans 8 is there are no commands, right? He's just simply telling you, this is how it is. The Holy Spirit lives through you, and it's incredible. And he makes a godly life out of you. And then chapters 9 through 11, Paul's dealing with his own concern for his people, Israel. And really the the deep burden on his heart for them. And the big question, right? Has God, like, given up on his people, or... are are they uh, excluded from his promises? And the answer is absolutely not. They, they are both in the past and present and future. God is being faithful to them. And there is still hope for them. And in the, in the, pic, in the big picture of all of it, we see the sovereignty of God on display. And the faithfulness of God on display in, in just amazing ways. And so Paul then gets to the end of all that. right? And here in verse 1 of chapter 12... Um, He summarizes all of that stuff, right? All of the first 11 chapters he summarizes by this phrase, the mercies of God. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. And so it's on the basis of God's mercy that Paul's making this appeal. He's not trying to get you to to be good in order to get God on your side or or earn your way or something like that. Um, And what that means is that as we approach the Christian life, we can approach it with this settled confidence in the mercies of God. Right? We're content. All is well. God is for me. He has acted on my behalf. He sent his son to pay my debt, not just mine, but, but ours. God loves us. And so later on in this chapter and in the chapters that follow, um, we're going to see a whole list of things that we should do. Um, But we come at it with with the right perspective, right? Um, We're not playing the legalism game. No, we have a settled confidence in the mercies of God. It's, It's through the mercies of God that we've been drawn to Christ in the first place. And it's through the mercies of God that we can stand before Him. And it's through the mercies of God that his spirit empowers us. And it's through the mercies of God that he remains perfectly faithful to us. And so we're confident. And so Paul doesn't say, I urge you, brethren, do this or else. <laughs> no, he says, I, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. And so the foundation for, for the entire Christian life, everything we do should be this settled confidence in what Christ has done for us and so um, Romans 5 1 and 2 I just want to read because it's it's the same point that I think Paul is making here with this phrase the mercies of God Romans 5 verse 1 he says therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God. We have a standing in grace. We can have this confidence before the Lord where we're not living the Christian life out of fear or out of some, some kind of internal turmoil. No, we're, we're confident in what Christ has done for us. The second thing that we see is that the Christian life is to be lived from start to finish as an act of worship. It's all worship. So look at what he says here. Romans 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And so Paul is drawing on some of this Old Testament language here about worships, uh, about the temple worship, to to try to communicate this idea. And so just as they would present a lamb to be sacrificed at the temple, we are now supposed to present our own bodies to God for his service. And so your physical body accomplishes your spiritual service of worship. It's it's kind of the idea of what James talks about, that that you'll know a person's faith by their works, right? It's the, the living out of your life in really practical terms. And so the rest of chapters 12 through 15 is just going to be like telling us, okay, here's what it looks like, right? This is, here's some examples of things that this looks like. And, and so it's going to be devoted to one another and practicing hospitality and weeping with those who weep. Giving food to your enemy and paying your taxes and giving up personal comforts in order to serve others. like they, These are all just examples of living out your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Um, so it's not just Sunday morning that we do this, right? It's all through the week. It's it's all, all week long that we are living out lives of obedience that are pleasing to the, the Lord. And so... Here's here's a a phrase I want you to get. I I want you to hang on to this one. And it's that the bridge from theology to application is worship. Okay, The bridge from theology to application is worship. And so worship is how we get there. So as we answer this question, why should I choose to live the Christian life in a way that pleases God... Right? How is that related to Jesus did all this stuff for me? Right. Well, the answer is that because he has done all this stuff for me, how can I not live a life of worship to him? And so worship is really how we get there. Um, the, the amazing thing is that Paul tells us that, that living that way, that this is holy and acceptable to God. Um, the New American Standard kind of phrases it funny. It says... That, uh, we're to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. Almost like that, acceptable to God is an afterthought. Um, in the original, like this says, present your bodies as a sacrifice to God, living and holy and acceptable. All three right in a row. So all three of these are true, right? Like you're, you're not dying, right? You're, you're living as a sacrifice to God. But it's also true that this is holy in God's sight. And it's also true that this is acceptable or well-pleasing to him. And so this is just amazing that God takes our meager efforts, right? He knows us, right? He knows you. He knows me, right? We're we're not that amazing. But he looks at those and he says, this is well-pleasing to me. And, man, that's encouraging. If you read the Old Testament, the the list of regulations surrounding Old Testament worship is mind-boggling and hard to read through. And... um one of the regulations or one of the requirements was that this had to be a lamb that was perfect and spotless and unblemished. And the only way Jesus can look at our sacrifice and say that that is perfect and spotless and unblemished is if the righteousness of Christ has been credited to us. right? So when God looks at our efforts as a living sacrifice, he says that's holy, And that's well pleasing in my sight, which is so cool. (laughs) Like, that's just incredible that he looks at us and sees it that way. Um, It's also the most reasonable thing to do. So, um, here it says, uh, This is a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Most translations translate that word as reasonable. Um, The New American Standard translates it as spiritual, not in the sense of like mystical or like out there, but more like this is the inner motivation of the heart as opposed to some kind of an outward thing. So, So inwardly, this is the thing that is the motivation for you, and it's the reasonable thing to do. So in view of God's mercies, the only reasonable thing to do, the only thing that makes sense is to offer up your life as a living sacrifice. How could we do anything else? And this is really the consistent teaching of the New Testament. So a couple other verses that we'll look at just briefly here. Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16 says this. Through him, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So this is through Christ, through him, that we accomplish these things. And he's able to say that these things are sacrifices pleasing to the Lord, right? So both the the giving of praise to God from our lips, right, that is pleasing to the Lord, but also the doing good and the sharing, right, these activities that we do with our bodies, these things are pleasing to the Lord. Um, Consider Luke 9, 23 and 24, where Jesus says, Jesus is saying to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. And so you have, again, Jesus saying much the same thing, right? We need to live our lives completely for the Lord. Um, It's kind of a sacrifice. We're giving our life. We're willing to lose our life for his sake. And so I think it's worth asking the question, is this how you view your life, right? When, when you think about your own life, is, is this how you think of it, as a, as a living sacrifice, that, that it's all for God? Um, have you ever told God, I will, I will do anything, I will go anywhere, I will serve anyone that you call me to? Kind of the blank check. Have you ever written a blank check to God? And given him your whole life. For some of us, that might be a pretty terrifying proposition. Because you know just deep down, like you're just scared that God's going to send you to Afghanistan. Right? He's just going to send you to Afghanistan and then you're going to be stuck there. Um, I, I think there's, there's this fear that some people have that like God's not really in your best interest. And so if you give him your whole life, then who knows where you're going to end up. Um, I've known a lot of missionaries through the years. I've never once heard somebody say, yeah, God sent me to this horrible place, and I didn't want to go, but he made me anyway. Like, that doesn't seem to be. Um, The phrase that I've heard is that, um, that, that God lines up the deep joy of our heart, the deep joy of our heart in Christ with the deep need of the world around us. And so... It's, it's not that God is going to send you to some horrible place you don't want to go. No, he's going to give you a joy in that thing, right? Um, but some of us, you know, are, are reluctant to give God our whole lives because we're afraid. You know, what, what if God doesn't do what we want to do, right? And we're still under this impression, I think all of us, um, this impression that we're in control of things, right? We, we forget that God's in control. He could send us to Afghanistan anyway, right? But... Um, I think it's important to remember what Jesus said. He said, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. There is no better place to be than serving the Lord right where he wants you. And so Romans 12.1 that we've been studying, that we've been looking at, is telling us that gospel thinking should have practical results in your life. It should lead to you living your life as a sacrifice to God. That you're, you're living all of it as an expression of worship to Him. That's how it should go, right? That's how, how this should look. Um, Jay Vernon McGee was a famous radio preacher, um, passed away many years ago, but he was... Um, among other things, famous for saying that the problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. Um, maybe you felt like that. Um, maybe yesterday you were fully committed to Christ, but today you're struggling with it a bit. But, um, but I, it, it is an ongoing thing that we are continually having to give of ourselves to Christ. Um, the third thing that we see that I want to point out in this passage Um, really in verse 2 here, is that the Christian life requires a completely new way of thinking. Radical change in our way of thinking. And so Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And There's actually two commands here, right? That, That together kind of communicate the change that needs to take place. The first command is don't be conformed To this world, and man, that takes some intentionality, doesn't it? You have to work hard to not be conformed to this world, because the default setting is that you're just going to go with the flow. You're just going to be conformed to the world around you. You're going to do what everybody else does. And so, Paul has to tell us, "Do not be conformed to this world," because otherwise, we would, right? Um, If we don't intentionally resist the views and the values of the world around us. we end up thinking and acting more and more and more like the world does. And so over time, we begin to rationalize our sin. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody's doing it, right? Um, We begin to build our lives around idols. Uh, We begin begin to develop an apathy toward God. I have long thought that one of the worst things about TV is not all the cussing and all the other stuff that's on there, it's the fact that they live their lives completely without God on television, right, or movies or whatever. Um, you, can, you can get by without God is kind of the worldview there, right? And if we're not careful, that influences us, right? And, it, and it's not just TV. It's, it's the world around us, right? It's our friends. It's, it's everywhere we go. Um, we can de- begin to develop this apathy. And so the second command follow-up is be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and so instead of being complacent and um, just giving into these pressures, we're to yield ourselves to a different pressure, which is the pressure of the Holy Spirit to conform us to Him, to transform us into the likeness of Christ. And so a really great place to start with that is reading your Bible, right? So Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart. That I may not sin against you. So how do we get to godly living? How do we transform ourselves? It's through the renewing of our mind. Through God's word. Right? But let me point something out with all of that. Um, I, I think for many Christians there is a a disconnect between what we say we believe and the way we act. Um, We absolutely need God's word, right? But we need God's word applied to our lives, changing us and transforming us into his likeness. So it's really easy to know some stuff about something without actually believing it at a deep heart level. And so what we're being called to do here, what, what this is saying is not, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing a few, or, or by uh, memorizing a few Bible verses. Right? Be transformed by memorizing a few Bible verses, or, or be transformed by, by reading one chapter a day. Right? Those are helpful practices, don't get me wrong, and I think you should. Um, but what he's saying is be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by changing The way we think, right? The way we view the world, the way we believe things to be, that needs to happen. So when God tells us that sin will enslave and kill you, we need to stop rationalizing about it. We need to, like, really take seriously what God says about sin. Um, When God says, if you don't forgive others, he won't forgive you, right? Right? Needs to be taken seriously. That needs to be believed at a deep heart level. When God says that you can't serve both God and money, right? We need to hear that and believe that, and let that change us and change our way of thinking. And so, we need God's word to really just radically transform us from within. And so, that's really what's being described here. And what he's saying is, if we are transformed through God's word, through through a renewed way of thinking, through really taking 11 chapters of doctrine, right, and applying it into our own thinking, that if we can do that, then we will be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And and that word prove there um, gets translated in all different ways depending on which um, translation of the the New Testament you have, right? Um, Some verses or some translations will say approve, um, some will say tested and approved. Some will say discern. Um, what this is saying is that you will be able to understand, discern what God's will is. And you're actually going to like it. You're going to approve it. You're going to see it as a good thing. It's, it's proved. It's tested. It's, it's like um, testing a, a fine metal and, and bringing it down, refining it until it's good. Right? You're going to be able to look and see God's will and understand that this is a good thing for your life. So when God says, be faithful to your spouse, that's good. That is a good thing. Right? When God tells you to resist temptation, you're going to say, yeah, that's, that's right, I should. Right? And you're going to be able to understand that. So you're going to experience that in your own life, but you're also going to display that for those around you. And they will get to see that the will of God is good. And it's going to be demonstrated in your life. And really that's what in the chapters that follow. We're going to be looking at, at what that looks like lived out again. Um, so we need this change in the way that we think. And so if we allow our thinking to be transformed, um, we will be able to um, actually live out a life that is pleasing to God. So three things, let me just review briefly here, three things that God intends for us as Christians living out the the Christian life. First, we have this settled confidence in God's mercy, right, that we're not unsure and uncertain about where we stand with God. Second, that we view our lives as an act of worship, not just Sunday morning singing songs, that is a part of worship, but more than that, it's our, our whole life, everything that we do is an act of worship. And then third, that that this requires us changing our way of thinking. We're not thinking like the world anymore. We're thinking as Christians. We're thinking through the gospel in a way that transforms the way we live our lives. And so um, as we move on over the next couple months, we're going to be talking a lot about application, about living out the Christian life. And it might be that some of you will start to get a little uncomfortable because we keep telling you things that you need to do right? Or Paul, not us, but but Paul keeps putting this emphasis on doing. Um, But as we go, it's important that we remember the heart behind all of this. All of this is worship. Every last little bit of that is an expression of worship. And so I want to, I want to just ask that question again that I asked earlier. Do you picture your own life as a living sacrifice, completely lived for God? Have you gotten to that place where you've said, God, I'll go anywhere, do anything. I will live how you want right here or on the other side of the globe or or whatever you ask of me. Lord, I'm ready to do it. Um, Because that's really what this is about. Presenting your body a living and holy sacrifice, pleasing to the Lord. And so if you've never done that, I'd, I'd encourage you today, take some time away with God. Um, Get away with him, spend some time in prayer. Um, Most of us have Sundays off, so it's a good opportunity to spend a little bit of time this afternoon in prayer with the Lord, um, talking with him, letting him know if you're ready to do this. Um, If you'd like to talk to somebody after the service, um, I'll be around, um, or most everybody here would love to talk to you about that. Um, But uh, I would encourage you today to, to be serious about this. Because the the rest of what we're going to look at in the the weeks ahead won't make much sense unless you've made this commitment to live for the Lord in this way. Um, Let's pray. Um, Father, I I just ask, God, that your spirit would be at work in each one of us, showing us the great joy, the deep privilege that it is to know you and to serve you. Lord, not out of a a sense of... of, um, Imposed burden or anything like that, but Lord, because you are worthy of worship, Lord, you are so good god we we are just we just marvel at your love for us, Lord, and all that you have done for us through christ, and so this morning, Lord, I pray that um, each one of us would not only. Um, know and appreciate and experience the love of Christ in our lives, Lord, not only that we would believe the gospel and be saved, but, Lord, that as a result we would also live our lives for you. God, would you bear much fruit through each one of us. Lord, we love you and just pray all these things in Christ's name.